0: Welcome to the Parasite Chronicles. This is your chance to hear firsthand on how New Zealand farmers have embraced a low or reduced drench route. So make sure listening to this series is your action plan on being wiser to those worm burdens on farm. This is a bonus episode on the Parasite Chronicles as an on-demand recording from a webinar that was recorded in November, 2022 featuring Massey University researchers Anne Ridler and Karen Highton, along with Wormwise Program Manager Ginny Dadunsky, who discussed their work on farmers reducing drench use on farm. Their work entailed interviewing farmers over 17 farms across the country. These farms were diverse farming operations and were using reduced drench when compared to their counterparts in the same region. The project aimed to understand the motivational and behavioural decision drivers behind reduced drench use, as well as how this is being done on their farm. Enjoy listening back to this webinar, kicking off with Dr Susie Keeling.
1: So if we move on to project origins, um, one of the things that you know, the research team has been doing over the last few years is thinking about how can we um, better support farmers when it comes to parasite management and drench resistance. And that sentiment is certainly supported by farmers who consistently tell us that it's one of their most significant animal health priorities. But it's quite evident that more drench is not the answer. But then that lent us led us to two potential questions that we needed to generate some information for. So the first one was thinking about is successful farming with reduced drench possible? And the second was around what influences behaviours and habits for farmers who have chosen this path. And the most obvious approach for for this was to ask some farmers. And that is exactly what this project is about. Now, before I hand over to Anne, I'd like to pass on a huge thanks to the farmers who have been involved in their project, in this project. We're really appreciative of their time, their expertise and the knowledge that they have provided us to help make this project a success. So I'm now going to stop sharing my screen and hand over to Anne and Karen to to take us through the project.
2: Thanks Susie. So I will share my screen and we'll get started. Okay so Susie's um, outlined the Background for this project. So, in terms of the aims, Karen and I were wanting to interview farmers with low or reduced drench, so whose parasite management strategy involved that? Um, to firstly understand the why. So, what was it that motivated these farmers to go down that reduced drench pathway and how do they make their parasite management decisions? And secondly, we wanted to understand the how. What does their parent parasite management strategy involve to facilitate or allow that reduced drench use? What are their operational processes? So Karen and I visited 17 farms throughout New Zealand. Um, As you can see from the map here, we had three each from the northern northern and central South Island and southern regions of New Zealand and four farms each in the western and eastern regions. 16 of the farms had sheep and beef cattle and one was beef cattle only. Our farm sizes were quite variable in size. Um, They ranged from 260 to 2,500 effective hectares with an average of 1,150 effective hectares. And the farm systems themselves were really variable. So within both the sheep and the beef cattle systems, they were, there was a mix of some or all of breeding, finishing, trading and stud operations. So some of these farms were really quite complex. Um, two of the farms had fine wool breed sheep, two were intensive bull beef farms, um, and a couple were running dairy heifer grazers as well.
3: So the farmers that we interviewed had varied priorities and uh, philosophies of farming, but some really clear themes emerged from all the farmers that we spoke to, including wanting to feed stock well, being proactive about animal health, and the importance of paying attention to detail. Five of the farmers described their philosophy of farming in terms of wanting to farm resilient animals that are well suited to their environment. And some of the farmers emphasise that for them productivity is secondary to other goals such as sustainability and work-life balance. In contrast, some others describe themselves as highly competitive and production-oriented. For example, one farmer characterised their farming philosophy as pedal hard down, intensive and aggressive. Seven of the farmers had had um, drench um, resistance diagnosed in their sheep system and this was the primary driver for changes in parasite control, including reducing drench use. For the remaining 10 farms, the motivations for reducing drench varied. All the farmers were aware about the issue of drench resistance and concern that it may emerge on their farm in the future was certainly a factor contributing to several farmers' decision to reduce drench use. Uh, five farmers also mentioned that broader desire to breed and farm more resilient animals while suited to their environment, while some farmers' desire to use less drench was associated with the goal of using less chemical inputs on their farm more broadly. Workload and costs were also raised as motivating factors by some of the farmers. Um, farmers described using a really wide range of different sources of information about parasite management. So all 17 farmers identified vets as an important source of information. And farmers from eight farms also identified scientists as the source of information that they used. Seven farmers referred to wormwise workshops and the WormWire's website. And rural newspapers, farmer discussion groups, and the internet were also identified. Um, some farmers believe there's plenty of information available, but many argued that there's not enough or that the information that is out there can be confusing, conflicting, or contain mixed messages. Um, in terms of making decisions about um, drench use, we found that the farmers really varied in their decision making processes. Some collaborated really closely with their vet or other animal health advisor, um, meeting with them regularly and having in-depth discussions regarding all aspects of parasite management. Um, And these um, farmers really made decisions collaboratively with a high level of communication and trust At the other end of the spectrum, we talked to farmers who were making their decisions about parasite management independently. They gathered information about parasite management from a wide range of sources. Um, Often their vet was one of these sources, but had minimal, if any, direct input into making those decisions.
2: when it comes to the how, or farmers how farmers were um, running their low or reduced trench system, a really standout theme was the importance of monitoring. And it was really clear when we were talking to the farmers that with their monitoring, they were taking multiple factors into account when they were making decisions. So they weren't making decisions based on a single or one or two pieces of information. They were taking a whole bunch of factors into account. And the thing that really stood out most strongly in terms of monitoring was observation or stockmanship. So all the farmers talked about how they prided themselves on their stockmanship or observational skills or how observation and monitoring animals was really important to their system. Um, Within the sheep systems, particularly within young sheep, fecal egg counts were um, used on on pretty much all the farms, um, either occasionally or frequently, um, or farmers had used them in the past, and with that information, they now felt that they had a pretty good handle on what was happening with parasites on their farm. Live weight and body condition score were also used, but there wasn't a big emphasis on these. So I've got a quote here, which I think encapsulates really nicely that sort of multi-factor decision-making that I've described. So this farm is talking about their monitoring and they're saying that they're taking into account, you know, weather history, paddock history, a little bit of fecal count testing, what sort of feed the animals have been on. So, you know, what you expect, the sort of growth rates they should be doing, how they look. So, you know, just emphasising that, again, that, monitor- that observation is really important, but also taking lots of lots of things into account when making those decisions. Fifteen hundred kilograms is the lowest that they want to graze lambs down to um, cross grazing so either with alternate species or with older animals of the same species were also highlighted so having you know grazing systems that ensured that there was high levels of cross um, grazing or that was in all integrated to um re- reduce larval contamination and for some farmers, rotational grazing and frequent shifts were also emphasised. So again, I've got a quote, which I think encapsulates that quite nicely. So this farm is talking about, you know, having a balanced cheap and cattle ratio, good rotational grazing and higher covers. And then they say feeding well is huge, good condition stock can fight off more things and poor condition things that are struggling along. So just emphasising that, that you know, that feeding well was, was a really strong theme. Of our 17 farmers, 11 of them were using crops either always or sometimes. Um, but for virtually for most of them the parasite control aspect of that was not a big priority. They were using crops to um, match feed supply and demand or to improve animal growth rates. Um, so only two farms were using crops specifically with a focus on parasite control um, and they were both using rape or kale. 14 of our farms had breeding ewe flocks that bred their own replacements and in six of those they were had a genetic emphasis so they were using um, maternal breed rams with, with parasite resistant genetics. Now all the farmers we interviewed did use some drench, um, and different farmers had different approaches to their drenching and their reduction in drenching in different stock classes. So some farmers had mostly focused on reducing drench use in their ewe flock. Some had focused more on reducing it in their lambs, and others had reduced it in in both. Um, It wasn't an all or nothing approach, you know, even some farmers that were trying to use very little drench in their ewes and in their lambs, like one for example, was still regularly drenching their sale lambs because they didn't want to compromise the growth rates of those sale lambs and they figured the quicker they're off the farm, the less drench drench inputs they needed. Um, Just remembering as well that our farmers were at different stages of their reduced drench journey, some were fairly early in the piece and some had been doing it for, for many years. So within the ewes, about a third never drenched their ewes or only did so very rarely. Um, Just over a third would only drench, you know, small numbers of low body condition score ewes from time to time. And in most cases, they would then either cull those ewes once they regained condition, or they would put them in a B mob or a terminal mob and not breed replacements from them. However, 25% of them were still drenching, some or all use pre-lamb, uh, mainly with short-acting products, and one or 6% was drenching two days um, in late summer for Barber's Poll. With the lambs, um, all of our farmers were drenching their lambs at weaning, but then after weaning, one was drenching sort of every 28 to 30 days, so regularly to February, just over a third were drenching regularly through to um, April, May and the the remainder so 57% were only drenching lambs on the basis of monitoring and I've already talked about the sort of monitoring that that was being used. Okay so in terms of approaches to cattle drenching this was highly variable. Um, Our cattle systems were quite variable anyway. Um, In general with most of the more sort of semi-extensive cattle systems, drench use in cattle was, was fairly infrequent and it was mainly based on visual monitoring. We did have some intensive cattle systems here though, we had two um, intensive bull beef systems, we had steers being finished under pivots and we had dairy heifer grazers. And in those systems they were sort of, the the reduction in drench use was was either increasing the drench intervals um, to some degree, carefully, um, and or um, minimal drench in cattle that were older than about 9 to 14 months, so really trying to tail off the drenching once those cattle got through to an age that, that they were getting a bit more robust towards parasites. Um, and these intensive systems also had a big focus on refusia.
3: So none of the farmers we spoke to were able to provide detailed information regarding the financial impacts of farming with reduced drench inputs. In some cases, this was because they'd been farming in this way for a long period of time, so didn't have anything to compare their current performance with. In other cases where farmers had more recently reduced their drench use, it was difficult to quantify the impact of this change because it was just one of many changes that they'd implemented, sometimes in a very short period of time. However, farmers on all 17 farms expressed positive views regarding the impacts of reduced drench use on their farms and argued that any negative short-term impacts that they had experienced were outweighed by the long-term benefits of reducing drench use. Some of the farmers were uh, confident that reducing drench use had had a positive financial impact on their farm, emphasising the reduced labour and animal health costs. Um, So the first quote uh, on the right of this slide Uh, is a farmer explaining that I don't think there would have been a huge production cost or financial cost you'd still be saving more than what you're spending some of the farmers did identify short term um, impacts uh, but emphasized again that these were outweighed by the long-term benefits Um, the second quote on this slide is the farmer explaining that maybe we have lost a bit of production but a long-term plan is the one you've got to watch for Farmer's also described a range of other types of positive
2: impacts, including animal health benefits, reduced workload, and a better work-life balance. So just to summarize, um, on the basis of these interviews, it seems fair to say that all farmers and farm systems have the potential to farm successfully with low or reduced drench use. So. We interviewed 17 farms, Um, it's not a huge number, but they were in a diverse range of locations, farm sizes and and systems. Um, And there was no one type of farmer that had chosen to go down this route. You know, they had varying farming philosophies and motivations and decision drivers Um, and their reduced drench use was compatible with a range of farming objectives and goals. Based on the farmers we interviewed, to farm with reduced drench use, you know, it, it needs focused attention. So actually committing to applying some mental energy to it um, and then putting effort into that careful monitoring, thinking about feeding stock well and those other management things that I touched on. Um, also that ability to make decisions, taking into account multiple factors, um, is also, you know, came through as, as being really important. Um, And finally, integrating parasite control with farm and livestock management. So rather than have parasite control as a a kind of separate thing, um, that it's an integral part of of how the farm is set up and the management that is happening on that farm. So I guess cross grazing is a really nice example of, of what I mean by that. So I'd like to thank Beef and Lamb New Zealand for, or Karen and I, sorry, we would like to thank Beef and Lamb New Zealand for initiating this project, funding it, and providing input into the planning and review. Um, massive thanks to the participating farmers, who were amazing, um, and to the vets and advisors who helped identify those farmers. And we'd also like to thank Dave Lethwick, Jenny Dodunsky, Andy Greer, and Cara Brosnahan for their input into the planning stages. And so thank you, and I'll hand back to you, Susie.
1: Yep, I think it's come back to me now. <laughs> thanks, Anne, that was great. Karen and Jenny, are you all ready now and we'll do the panel discussion? Excellent. Right. So I'll kick us off um, before we look at some of the questions that have come through in the chat. So Anne and Karen, like, what were some of the highlights from actually doing this
2: work? Um, I'll kick off for that. Um, I guess for me, it was actually really cool um, I, going to these farms, um, but also just the, the diversity and complexity of the farming systems and how, you know, there was a whole range of different types of farmers that were were going, you know, achieving this reduced trench, um use and how it could be compatible with a range of farming philosophies and goals and objectives. You,
3: I also, uh, just getting the opportunity to speak to the farmers um, they're incredibly generous with their time and really willing to take that time to share with us their knowledge and experience i learned so much and i was really inspired by their passion and their commitment to taking
1: on this challenge of farming with reduced trench yeah no it's just been amazing just to kind of you know see all the quotes coming through and just you know that kind of you know how, how they've just embraced it and they've all kind of got, you know, those common goals and are working towards something you know, which they're hoping is going to be, you know, more sustainable for them in the future. And it's been really cool to see the project evolve. So, you know, we've sort of, you know, talked about some of the highlights. Were there any aspects of, you know, like the conversations with farmers that, you know, were unexpected or
2: surprised you? Um, yeah, I guess, again, just, yeah, how, yeah, the different types of farmers just managing to achieve what they were doing. And, there's some very consistent themes but all approaching it in a different way I guess it was really cool as a sheep and beef fit you know I'm quite concerned about drench resistance and where our industry is going to be you know five ten twenty years time um, and it was pretty heartening to sort of um, you know see that, that farmers were taking this on and um, showcasing that it's actually realistic to be able to do this across a range of different systems.
1: Any other comments from you Karen? No, know <laughs> and summed it up did she steal your words yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things that we've sort of seen evolve more over the last few years in terms of you know the the research that beef and Lamb funds is thinking about you know the role of of social science research and it'd be really good Karen to you know for you to give us a bit of an explanation of social science research but how it was incorporated into this project and how it's helped make it a success certainly
3: um so a social science is a really broad field of research and can involve many different things but in general it refers to taking a scientific approach to study social dimensions of issues or problems And in this project, um, we took a mixed methods approach which allowed us to collect both quantitative and qualitative data, so both information about things that can be quantified, how often farmers drench, which drenches they use and so on, um, as well as um, qualitative information about their motivations, their decision drivers, their decision making processes and so on so we didn't want to make any assumptions coming into this about these factors so our interview questions were very open-ended and really just allowed the farmers to tell us what was important to them uh, both in terms of how they approach this challenge of farming with reduced wrench, but also why and what's driving them um, and what's helping them and enabling them and supporting them to do that successfully
1: yeah and I think capturing these types of information then makes it really useful in terms of how we think about our extension material going forward and how we need to tailor that in terms of thinking around motivators and drivers and challenges and you know making sure that you know the packages of information that we produce help you know cater for those different perspectives as well so you know thanks for that Karen Um, often we hear that you know all farmers and their farms are different and you know, acknowledging that this study was you know certainly a small sample size, but you know very in depth. Um, were there you know any common goals shared by the farmers that were interviewed?
3: Yeah, you're, st- you're certainly right. The farms were really different in many different ways, mm-hmm. um, but all farmers shared this common desire or objective of reducing reliance on drench and avoiding, or in some cases where it had already been diagnosed, addressing drench resistance. Um, And as we discussed in the presentation, there are also some shared goals in terms of feeding stock well, um, being proactive, uh, taking a proactive approach to animal health and parasite management specifically, um, and the importance of paying attention to detail and really staying on top of the parasite management program.
1: So they definitely viewed it more as an integrated component of their farm system rather than we just need to tackle parasites. It's how it links to everything else to do with with animal health as well. So now, Jenny, you haven't completely escaped, um, but I will ask this question of everybody on the panel. But Jenny, if you wouldn't mind uh, answering first, Um, what do you think are some of the most challenging aspects for farmers when it comes to parasite management? It's a nice, easy question, sorry.
4: (laughs) I think um, Dave Lethwick's got this um, this term he uses called the drench gun jitters, and it's, it's getting confident enough um to 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 not pick up that drench gun um when when all the information that you've got in front of you says that you don't need to um i think you know we have now farmed with regular anthelmintic use and sheep in particular and lambs in particular for you know four decades or more now um and we are getting you know we, we sort of have a whole generation of of people now who don't necessarily um believe or think that that we can farm with a lot less drench. Um, and yet there are, you know, wonderful examples out there all over the place of of farms that that do manage to do that. So I think it's a fair there's a there's a fear with a lot of animal health stuff about what will happen if you don't you know we give copper just in case we we do this drench now just in case we do um you know a pre-lam treatment or a pre-tap treatment just in case because you know and i get it on on big properties in particular when things go wrong um they can go wrong in a pretty big way um but yeah, it's, it's as Anne and Karen have said, you know, those themes that come through in terms of feeding stock well. Um, a lot of farmers had done monitoring, uh, quite intensive monitoring to begin with of fecal egg counts and then sort of got comfortable with what their eye was telling them around stock condition feed and all the other things and then backed off using so, so much egg count monitoring and things like that. So it's, it's just getting, com- it's a whole new system to get comfortable with, right? Um, because none of the farms in this in this study were organic farmers or anyone that's that was very fringe, the, the um, you know, standard kind of farming operations, but just doing it with less drench. Did that answer the
1: question? That was great. Thanks, Jenny. Anne or Karen, do you have any further thoughts in terms of what are the most challenging aspects for farmers when it comes to parasite management?
3: I definitely think the confusing and conflicting messages coming from different sources um posed a challenge to some farmers, particularly farmers early in this early in the process
1: of making changes. So was that around confusing published information or were they getting a combination of different messages from, you know, I guess different rural professionals or was it just kind of everything in general, you know, um both in fact, yeah.
3: Even from two different vets telling them completely different sort of things.
1: Yeah, that's certainly hard to navigate when <laughs> you've got yeah multiple sources of information and that, yeah, it's got varying levels of consistency between it definitely challenging and do you have any thoughts
2: oh uh, no I think um yeah I think what Jenny and Karen have both said sums it up pretty nicely yep right.
1: so I guess one of my next questions is thinking around you know like you've considered all of these different farm systems and based on I guess all of your collective expertise do you think it's possible for most farm systems to you know you know have some kind of you know element of you know reducing their you know reliance or usage of of drench going forward and and i guess the other aspect is do you think that you know perhaps the best approach to this is like a, a stepwise kind of a gradual sort of you know modification or integration into the animal health plan yeah Keen to hear your thoughts.
2: I guess from the study point of view, as we've we've already said, you know, we had a really diverse range of farmers, locations, systems, um, you know, what was happening on farms. So from that point of view, you know, we hear sometimes farmers say, oh, you know, that wouldn't work on my farm because, or whatever. Um, you know, we, we obviously didn't cover every single farm system, but I, I'm not sure that that's that's true. Um that, you know, I think I think it could be possible on, on any farm. Um, but it really does require a, a mental Know, commitment like applying some mental energy to it, having a plan, thinking through it, doing the research, um, etc. And then depending on, yeah, probably as you say, Susie, a stepwise approach to it. So, you know, (laughs) the last thing we want, well, the last thing I I would want, Jenny Margaret, is for people to go, Oh, okay, I'll just pull back on drench and and with nothing, no other changes, because that's that's probably not going to go well. Um, so I'm going to pass over to Jenny actually to maybe if you want to talk around that as well, Jenny.
4: Yeah, I mean, we're already hearing and seeing of cases like that as we get triple drench resistance diagnosed on farms around the country where people have made no other management changes other than to stop, you know, just blanket stop using capsules in their use and then, you know, having disastrous results because of that. Um, To your question, Susie, about can any farm, farm with reduced drench, I think any farm system in any location that can be done, but it's actually due to, it's down to the people who are there. Um, and I would say, you know, some some people, mate, you know, no, you can't farm with reduced drench because your grass is never longer than that. And, um, you know, there is a, particularly in terms of ewe drenching, there is a lot of ewe drenching that goes on in New Zealand that is, is a a plug for poor nutrition or a plug for inadequate feed covers and inadequate body condition. Um, so if, if people aren't prepared to to raise the bar on that stuff, um, then reducing drench use will fail, and then those of us giving that advice will be blamed. Um, so you cannot have one without the other, in my opinion. Um, you've got to you've got to bring it along with um, with management changes. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely important not to view you know all those components in isolation. It's all about a systems approach, isn't it? Um, so you know during I guess the presentation and you know some of the you know I guess the discussion so far you know the importance of monitoring you know been you know discussed um what were the main tools that farmers used and you know how do you think they can best use the tools that are currently available
2: um yeah so I guess um I I sort of emphasized observation and stockmanship and while I was talking and that was something that came through really strongly from the farmers and I don't personally know how you train those skills. Some people seem to be very good at observing animals and have a high level of stockmanship, and others can go and shift a mob of sheep and not really notice anything. So, um, yeah, um, but yeah, obviously, you know, regular monitoring, really knowing, understanding animals and taking those other factors into account. Um, fecal egg counts, they're not perfect. You know, it'd be nice if we had a much better uh, tool, but they're what we've got. Um, And I really think that, you know, even most farmers. Reach sheep in the absence of hardly any information at all, you know, they don't really know what's going on. So using faecal accounts to do, do monitoring, um, particularly in young sheep, you know, really, really useful. Um, and so in this study, you know, for the young sheep in particular, virtually all the farmers were either using them or had used them. Um, and Obviously, if you've got a system that's quite efficient from a logistical point of view, that makes fecal accounts a lot more straightforward. But you know, that that just providing information, which often we we don't really have a lot of um, when it comes to parasite decisions.
0: We hope this has been helpful for you and realize there is no one size fits all approach. But careful, ongoing monitoring, feeding, stock well and using other parasite management practices will be important. As well as of course head along to Beef and Lamb New Zealand's Knowledge Hub or wormwise.co.nz for more information. Make sure to check out all our other episodes in this series as well. Thanks for listening.